Hello, everybody, and welcome to the April episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And this month, our guests are Alex Chadzi and Frank Anderson. Welcome. Hey. Hey, thanks. We're happy to be here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Awesome. Alex and Frank are uh, members of a band called Duende Libre, who just released an album called The Dance She Spoke. Uh, it's their third album, and it just won the 2020 Northwest Album of the Year from Earshot. Congratulations. Thank Congrats. you. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations <laughs> to Jazz Talks as well. <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah. We are uh, really excited about this record. Um, I've listened to it um, at least three or four times all the way through and keep referring back to um, songs on this record because it's just a really, really fun record. And Alex, I wanted to uh, get started with a question for you. How did this band get started? Well, the band originally started as a trio with Jeff Bush, Farko Dasumov, and myself. And um, Jeff and Farko and I go back quite a ways, at least 10 years, you know, playing in each other's projects and other people's projects. And um, when I started thinking seriously about wanting to form my own group, I immediately thought of Jeff and Farko. They're also very close friends of mine. And, you know, we share a lot of um, musical values and interests and shared experiences. So um, the trio was formed in 2016. At least that's when we played our first, um, you know, official gig. And we released our first two albums um, were primarily uh, trio, although we did feature um, Hava Morel on both of those albums. And then it was our album release uh, show for Drift, which was our second album that um, I think Jeff or Hava suggested that we invite Frank um, to join us for that. And, you know, we started kind of rehearsing and jamming with Frank. And originally we were thinking we would open up you know, and uh, and then feature Frank in the second part of the show. But we ended up just, you know, after a couple rehearsals, Frank was basically in the band. So that's how we <laughs> expanded um, from a trio to a quintet. You know, Very I was going to cool. ask about that because your first album uh, was as a trio. And the second you mentioned Hava joined. So you have a quartet. And now this is your third with a quintet. Are we going to come back in 10 years and you're just, it's just going to be a big band? Is that what's going to happen with this band? <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of is, seem, would appear to be the tra- trajectory. We'll just have to see. Awesome. So uh, your last record, uh, this latest one, has a lot of inf- uh, influences from West African music and culture. Uh, why did you choose to go in this direction? Uh, can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, um, I'll just briefly say that that had a lot to do with the addition of Frank Anderson to our lineup. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, and uh, I'll I'll let I'll hand it over to Frank, and he can say more about um, you know how it, how it came to be that he introduced us to these songs and rhythms from West Africa. Well, cool. somehow somehow or the other. Somebody got the idea, you know, because they knew everybody knows that I studied uh, in Guinea and Mali and, you know, studied traditional rhythms and dances and songs from there. And uh, 
that's my only real musical training. And so somebody got the idea. They said, Frank, why don't you sing us a song and play a rhythm? And so I did, and they liked it. And they said, oh, well, what do you think of these chords with that? You know, so it, it, that's, that's how we ended up building a lot of these cuts is that I would sing and play one drum part and, and the main drum part, which is called the sangban. That's like the identifier stick drum that is played. That's, that's how you identify the rhythm is most by what the sangban plays. So I played the sangban part and I'd sing a song. Then it would build from there, you know, like Alex would decide what chords to put to it. And then Farka would come up with the bass part. Uh, and Jeff would would come up with a whatever kind of whatever he wanted to do on the uh, uh, the drum set. You know, if I may jump in for a sec, I just want to add something to that. You know, there's one of my favorite John Lennon quotes is, life is what happens when you're making other plans. And I feel like this album is a great example of that because we never really <laughs> planned on, you know, making an album with, you know, influences from Molly and with, from Guinea. Um, but in the process of meeting Frank and getting to know Frank, you know, it's like we would have, you know, sort of these R&B songs, you know, that we were working on for one of our performances. But then as we were kind of warming up at the rehearsal, you know, Frank and Jeff would start jamming on one of these rhythms. And then, you know, Farco and I would just sort of start improvising on top of that. And of course, Hava and Frank go way back and Hava knows a lot of these songs already. So it was just sort of this process of like, kind of on this, it was, I would say it kind of started off as like something we were doing on the side. It's not like we were really planning to record an album or anything like that, <laughs> but we just ended up like having so much, so much fun mm -hmm. with this stuff that like that kind of ended up being the focus. And some of the, mm -hmm. some of the other stuff that we had planned to do kind of even went on the back burner. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, when we started playing these songs for audiences, people like, you know, really responded um, positively. And so that just, I think, you know, motivated us to kind of keep going with it. And that's how the album eventually was born. And I said, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. When we first, so when we first started performing together, like at the, um, the album, the CD release of the CD that I was not on, you know, the, the, the idea was to have me originally just open for the band and the band would be my accompaniment because I typically would sing blues and jazz standards, you know, uh, and some R and B. And so we did a lot of that when we still do a lot of that in performance, but, you know, I guess once we found out that the people liked these, uh, these, these pieces that were based on these traditional rhythms and songs from almost entirely from, Guinea and Mali, uh, you know, we got good responses when we were performing it live. And so that's, that might've been part of the, the reason that uh, everybody wanted to record those. That's so cool. cool. Mm -hmm. so, so let's dig oh. into some of these actually. Uh, so as I'm looking at the track list, uh, just the list of songs that you have on this record, uh, a bunch of them have in parentheses, these words, Hamana, Kaso, and Wasulu, mm -hmm. and I apologize if I'm screwing up the pronunciation. Please correct me. Uh, can you tell me uh, or tell us about uh, a little bit about these these words and what do they mean? 
Okay, so Hamana is a, a it's a it's a region in the Republic of Guinea, and it's a really important region for for drumming because a lot of people know what a djembe is. You know, a lot of people know what dununs are, and uh, but that is Amana is one of the places where they have really sophisticated rhythms, dunun rhythms and djembe rhythms. Like a typical Amana rhythm is going to have five basic parts, five different drummers. Uh, and, and in addition to that, there's going to be the djembe soloist. And um, so, but anyway, the, that's why we thought it was important to say Amana because that's the, that's the homeland. That's the origin of the, of the tradition of, of, this more sophisticated dunun and djembe music, which comes out of West Africa. And, and Kaso is another place. So that's a region that's in Mali. And they also have really beautiful dunun tradition there. It's kind of different. They don't even play djembes there. Mm. Wasulu is a, uh, and the Kaso people, the people in Kaso, they're called Kasonka. And they're, they're all these people from Amana, Kaso, Wasulu, they're related culturally. They're all their cultures are all descendants of the empire of Mali, which goes back to the Middle Ages. And if you look at the map and you see the Niger River, and the part that goes from Guinea into Mali and up to Timbuktu, that whole region there is was the old empire of Mali. And so you have an ancient, pretty old, pretty ancient tradition of music. You know, for example, if you've heard of a griot. G-R-I-O-T. What the griot, I don't know where that word comes from, but what the griots call themselves is jelly or jali, D-J-E-L-I or D-J-A-L-I. So the jelly is, I guess, they're like bards. They know, but they sing about the, the great kings of the empire of Mali. They sing about the different families in the empire of Mali. They're great singers. They're born into a cast. There's a cast of musicians called the griots. They're called, called the jellies. And they typically have names like Kuyate, Jabate. You know, like you, you heard of Tumani Jabate. He's a kora player. So the, so the jellies have typical instruments. Men, men play the kora and they sing. Women a lot of times are great singers and great dancers. You also have balafon, which is like the little xylophone, but it sits, it's, it's not very tall. You know, it's, you have to sit it on a table or something. Um. But so to this day, you have the, the descendants of the Empire of Mali, and some of them are in Mali, some are in Senegal, Guinea, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, the Gambia, uh, Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea-Bissau. So they, they all speak languages that are related to, to the called Mandane languages or Mande languages, M-A-N-D-E. Um, but each region has its name, you know, like, like Wasulu is a region that's partly in Eastern Guinea and partly in Western Mali. Kaso is a region that is by the intersection of Mauritania, Senegal, and Mali. If you look on the map there and Amana is in kind of like Northern central, Northern Eastern Guinea. Cool. That's awesome. So I'm, oh. Am I correct in assuming that the as these uh, regions appear next to songs off of your record, that 
uh, they refer to the places and cultures that those songs and rhythms come from? Yeah, I mean, we just put that there because we want to tell you that, for example, that uh, that dansa mm-hmm. has its origins in the Kaso Kaso region. Sure, and then the Fefo has its origin in the Amana region, and it's Ngri mm-hmm. come from Wasulu region. That was another question I had, and so yeah, I, first of all, I love this music personally, and I've had the privilege to learn and play some of it with people like Frank um, in Seattle. Um, so. Oh, and as another side note, really quick, I don't know that that many people know what dunoons are, mm-hmm. but for reference, those are kind of like uh, tonal bass drums of that region. Kind of, uh, there's like a you can tell us about this, Frank, if you want, or I can kind of describe it as, as best I can. But let me, let me tell you, so yeah. dunoons they're traditionally carved from a log, a cylinder. You have a skin on each end. If you're in the Guinea and Hamana, those skins are going to be cow skins. And in, in Hamana, there are three different sizes. You have like a treble dunun, a mid-range dunun, and a bass dunun. And each drum, you mount a bell on that drum. Uh, and when you play with your dominant hand, you play the stick on the drum head, and you have open tones, and you have press tones. You press that 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 stick into the drum head. The drum is played horizontally. Um, so the three of those drums together, you know, they're each playing different parts and and, the, and they're each playing different bell parts. And the, the three of them together, it has a really cool sound hearing the bells because the bells are all according to whether you have the little, the little just drum, it has a higher bell and the middle drum, a lower bell, etc. So that's a really cool sound, just the dunons alone. And so those... Dunums typically are going to accompany a djembe. So depending on where you are, like if you're in Wasulu, you might only have one smaller dunum with no bell and maybe two djembes, a djembe accompanist and the djembe soloist. Or you, or if you're in Kaso, you might have three dunums and no djembes at all, and you have a talking drum, a tama, you know, or you have another big drum that I forget the name of it, but it's a it's a drum from a traditional Kaso uh, ensemble, but you and you in uh, Amana, you got the badass djembe players like Famudu Konate, an accompaniment djembe player, and the three dununs with their really nice rhythms and their bells. So, but you have drums that are like dununs. You have drums like that all over the world. You have them in Ireland. You have them all over West Africa. So yeah. those those are ancient drums, you know. But it just so happens that that in the region where you where you have djembe music. You usually have dununs accompanying those djembes, and those dununs they play. I guess they're kind of like I don't know how to describe it. They play. They don't do too much improvisation. They do some according to the dance, but the one who does the most improvisation is the djembe soloist. Yeah, um, you mentioned Famadou Konate. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who that is? You got to to kind of learn from him, didn't you? Yeah, I studied with him quite a can, lot. Yeah, can you tell us about who he is and, and kind of how uh, people like him are important to the culture and music in, in that area? Yeah, so Famudu Konate, he's from the village uh, in, in the Amana region of Guinea. That village is called Sangbarala. And um, he's just a great musician, a great djembe player. You want to hear some of the prettiest 
djembe you ever heard. You know, some of the, the most beautiful sounds out of a djembe and some of the most subtle, sophisticated, rhythmic feel. Listen to Famo du Cornate. I'll second but, that for sure. <laughs> but as is typical of any any village in that that part, because that's where I've been to villages is in Guinea and Amana. Every village has its drummers. Every village, everybody in every village know, okay, Musa, he's a great sangban player. You know, so there's a few, not too many, who are the really good drummers. Not just anybody can play drum. They don't just let, just like here, it's like you can't anybody just come up to a jam session if they can't play? You know, it's the same thing. It's the same thing in in, in those cultures. I want to say this because I think sometimes some people have an idea that in West Africa or anywhere in Africa that everybody can play drums and everybody can dance. A lot of people dance, but like in the villages that I was with, in you know, there's a it's like you don't have any a higher percentage of good musicians there than you do here. And so, you know, they only let the good drummers play during the festivities, whatever the traditional festivities are. Um, I'm sorry, I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting. That's all fascinating information. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that stuff. Absolutely. And uh, this, this context is really, really helpful, but... Uh, with all this context, how about we actually listen to one yeah. of the tunes off this record? <laughs> so uh, I'd love to, if you don't mind, uh, take a listen to Mendiani. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah. All right, here we go.
What a lovely, beautiful tune. Uh, tell us about this. So uh, when I was in Konakuri, Guinea, uh, I saw a great dancer. I didn't know that she actually, I don't know if you have heard of Le Ballets Africaines. Le Ballets Africaines is a famous group that used to tour the world during the time of Asekuture, uh, after when the independence of after the independence of, of Guinea from France, they had this national uh, dance group, dance and drum group that would tour the world. But anyway, so I met Nakane Kuyate when I was in Conakry, and I saw that's a great dancer, and I started to study dance with her. And um, one of the dances she taught me is Mendiani. So that's a dance and it's a rhythm. Um, it traditionally is done at weddings now. It's an old dance. Only girls, traditionally only girls dance it. And there'd be an older woman who used to be a Mendiani dancer when she was a girl who would teach the younger girls how to do the dance. But now hmm. that a lot of the dances out of West Africa have become so popular around the world that when you go there or when you go anywhere to study with a West African dance teacher, a lot of time they'll teach you all these traditional dances. But all those dances come from a tradition. But nowadays, a lot of people just like the dance and they like the rhythm. So that it, like when you're in the city, you'll hear a lot of different rhythms that are not really, say you hear the rhythm soli or you hear the rhythm mendiani, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a circumcision going on or a wedding going on. People just like the damn rhythm and they use it like at a wedding <laughs> just to have a good time and to dance, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Nakane Koyate, she taught me that that dance and that song. And in that song, what I, what I remember being having translated to me is that song is about a woman who's in a polygamous marriage. Whoa. And so the woman is, is feels rejected because she was the first wife. And so her husband has taken a new, you know, a new young hot wife, and he's crazy about her there in their honeymoon period, and she's being ignored. So she is singing this song, and she's asking her children to help take care of her when she gets older. That's what that song is about. Whoa. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I was going to ask about the lyrics in these. So they're, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is the language Malinke? Is that correct? Yeah, but- they call they call the language Maninka, Maninka Khan. But a lot of people call those people Malinke. But they I call see. themselves Maninka or Man, uh, Maninka Khan is the language. Understood. Uh, and my understanding is that it's uh, spoken in Guinea, Mali, and a couple other countries in, in that area. Is that right? Yeah. You, you'll find different dialects of that spoken. And so like I'm curious, do you and or Hava... Uh, speak this language i speak a little bit of it only a little just enough to survive but, <laughs> gotcha <laughs> but when i when i studied it when i studied you know when i was taking my dance classes typically i would uh, as part of my dance class i would have to sing the song 
at the beginning of the when when are we gonna start doing Mendiani? First, I sing the song. Me and the gotcha. teacher sing the song. Then we start the dance. And that's another thing that typically happens. And traditionally, that's how you in Amanda. That's how you start a dance. The singers, the the, the main singer starts to sing, and they'll sing a call and response song. And then the drummers, they know that song. They'll just fall in and start playing. They don't have an arrangement, you know. They'll just the singer starts singing, and then the drummers know where to play within that song. Gotcha. Mm. That's cool. And does Hava speak uh, the language, or is this uh, a song that you you taught uh, taught her? She does. She doesn't speak it, but you know she's just a really good singer and has a really good ear, and she learned those songs really easily. That's cool. She she all we happened to meet in a dance class. She likes to dance, and so she just uh, she loved that stuff and she knew I did it and she wanted to learn it. And so we didn't even have any idea that we would ever be performing together. She just loved it and wanted to learn it because she had also studied other other rhythms, dance, and songs from Ghana. Hmm. That's really I gotta cool. I gotta make a quick side note about Menjiani. Um we created a video a music video for Menjiani, uh which features Dora Oliveira, who's a master Brazilian dance teacher and instructor who lives here in Seattle. And um the video was directed by Teo Schantz and edited by Tristan Seniuk. Um, and anyway, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's we're really happy with how it came out. That's awesome. Thank you I for mentioning that. Not, yeah, and need to go check that out immediately after recording this episode. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned uh, other collaborators and guests that are involved in a uh, project with this song, uh, but we'd be remiss if we don't mention Sean Diop, who played an amazing djembe solo. Uh, what was it like working with him and bringing him onto this project? Well, I, you know, I, I'll just uh, mention that, yeah, it was an honor, um, you know, to have Chon be part of this. And it was also, I mean, I had worked with Chon a little bit in the past, but I was just really blown away on this particular project by how he, you know, so he recorded his parts after, you know, the, we had done all of the tracking for everything and, you know, basically laid down all of our parts and but when Sean came into the studio it's like everything that he did on every track that he played on just made everything sound better and it was like this uncanny thing that I can't even really put into words but it was it was just sort of like the parts that he added to the music just you know everything else it helped everything else cohere um and it was, you know, just sort of this experience like, oh, yeah, that's how the song is supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you know, Chon, I've known Chon since he was 19. And I think he came to Seattle in the late 90s. And we started, he and I and some other people, we, you know, I studied with him a lot. We performed a lot. We've known each other. We played together a lot over quite a few years now. And, he, for example, Ngri, He'd been known in Greece since he was a kid, you know, <laughs> and Dansat also, because, you know, Senegal is next to Mali. And uh, there's a lot of people who, uh, when you were in a city like Dakar, where, where Chon is from, you have ethnic groups from the whole region who converge upon the place. So you'll, you'll hear the traditional music from a lot of different ethnic groups that are there in the city. So he grew up in a place like that. 
He's one of those guys that um, I've I've played next to him a few times, and it's it's just one of those inspirational sensations where you kind of just want to stop and listen mm. rather yeah. than even focus on whatever you're doing. It's just like, I just want to listen to what's going on over here. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 He's such an amazing musician. <sighs> That's awesome. Uh, so I, uh, in preparing for this episode, uh, Max and I read, Oh, interview. sorry to sorry to interrupt. Oh. One more person we got to shout out to is Jimmy James, yeah, who was on. Um, oh, totally play, played on one track on uh, "You Gotta Go," which is an original. Uh, well, written in, by the band in collaboration with Frank Anderson. Oh, don't worry, we and, will get to. Oh, that. we're getting to that. Okay, yeah, we will. I just wanted to make sure we didn't leave that out. All right. Oh no, <laughs> definitely not. I think uh, we might even yeah. listen to that in a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Perfect. In preparing for this episode, uh, Max and I read a really good interview, an article interview by Abe Beeson from KNKX, talking about cultural appropriation. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to broach this topic with the two of you. How do you approach being respectful um, while performing music that is from a culture that's not necessarily your own heritage? You know what? I just want to tell you, about myself. I'm born and raised in Seattle, but my ancestry, I have a white father that I didn't even really know. You know, my parents were not married. My mother's family is descended from El Salvador. My my, my mother's ethnicity is one-fourth African-American, one-fourth Mexican, and half Salvadoran. I grew up in Seattle in a place where I never fit in. You know, a lot of mixed people are like this. People always ask me, what are you? What nationality are you? All kinds of shit like that, you know, all kinds of stereotypes and all kinds of uh, assumptions about just because of how I look or what my name is or with whether, I, oh, oh, I speak good English or whatever, all kind of crazy shit like that. So it's like for a mixed person, you know, like, uh, when I when I went to West Africa, my teachers told me, three different teachers, they told me, you should teach. You know, you need to do this. You should perform this stuff and you should teach it. And also when I've been here in the United States working with different African-American groups who were doing West African music, you know, like I was accepted among them. And it's a really tricky thing. But I finally just decided, you know, why should I worry if somebody happens to think that I'm not, that it's not, that I'm not worthy of doing something? It's like, shit, I'm not worthy of doing anything because I'm so mixed. Somebody's always going to say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do Salvadoran music one quarter of the time and Germanic <laughs> music 50% of the time and African music, American music eighth, one eighth, you know, one eighth of the time and Mexican music one eighth of the time? Fuck that. I'm going to do what I love, and I'm going to do what I love. And a lot of people here in Seattle, you know, whether it's Afu Akuyate, whether it's Maka de Ebube, whether it's different West Africans, and Chonjo, you know, a lot of people have embraced me and encouraged me to do what I want to do. In spite of the fact that once in a while I'll have people say some crazy shit like, you know, what are you doing doing this music or or. Or what are you? I mean, not that I've had, I haven't had a whole lot of rejection actually from Af- from African-American community or from African, you know, West African community. 
But just my, I just want to talk about my experience as a mixed person Absolutely. and about how white supremacy is so bad in this hemisphere, not only in the United States, but in the whole hemisphere, that there's all this crazy ass need of people to categorize you one way or the other or to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. So that's my damn feeling about it. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, as a white musician, as a as a white man, you know, who for my in my own experience, I mean, I've been really, really strongly influenced and inspired by music from Cuba and music from Brazil and of course, you know, the African American jazz tradition. And, you know, so this question of cultural appropriation is one that I've thought about and, you know, struggled with to some extent. And I think one of the things that has helped me sort of, you know, make sense of it, because I think it's, I think it's worth everybody kind of grappling with this. Of course, it's a really personal, well, it's personal, it's also political, but, you know, it also, of course, depends on your background and where you come from and, and the privilege that you bring to it and all of that, those types of things. Um, but I attended, anyway, there's, there's this guy named Clay Ross, who's a, an incredible musician and producer. You might know his work with a band called Ranky Tanky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I attended a, it was like a round table uh, discussion on this topic of racial or um, cultural appropriation. And he was one of the speakers. And I thought that he had a really nice or helpful, I should say, um, way of framing this question. And the way he basically, you know, sort of describes it is it's, you know, there's disciples and there's descendants, right? And so there's descendants um, in his words, you know, are essentially folks who, like Chon, for example, you know, Chon is, represents, is born into this culture and he, you know, grew up in that culture and he would be considered a descendant of that culture. Um, for someone like myself, you know, I am clearly not a descendant, but I consider myself to be a disciple, you know, of, in the sense that I'm a student, you know, I'm learning and, uh, and as a disciple doing my best to sort of pay homage to my teachers, you know, Frank has been one of my teachers, um, and all, you know, all of us in the group, I mean, he is sort of our link, you know, to this, uh, to the music from Mali and Guinea in West Africa. Um, and I've, you know, been very fortunate to have a lot of great teachers, you know, over the years, you know, teachers from Cuba, from Mexico, um, from all over the world. And, you know, so that's, I, I see my my role as a disciple is, you know, to try to, of course, as a good, you know, try to learn as, uh, as much I can and res- pay my respects and pay homage to the tradition and the culture um, and also educate other people um, about it and hopefully, you know, try to raise awareness around, you know, these incredible traditions um, from different cultures, different parts of the world, and, you know, maybe expose some people to this music who otherwise might not hear it. Can I say a little something? 
Please do. I know I say too much, but... (laughs) Not at all. See, I identify as a person of color, as a mixed person of color, you know, from the United States of America. I was raised by my mother's family, who was this mixture of Salvadoran, African-American, and Mexican. And see, because of racism, my mother's family, they desperately tried to assimilate here in Seattle. They were desperately trying to assimilate, and it was just a way of, that's what they felt like they had to do to, sur- to survive and to even get a job and stuff like that. And so, you know, because of the conquest of Latin America, because of slavery in, in, you know, in the United States, because of slavery in Mexico and El Salvador as well of African people, and because of the conquest of Native people, our history was a whole lot of our history was lost, you know. So to me, learning about, you know, being able to go to West Africa and being to be with West African people, that's a recovery of my own history. I mean, I love this music. I wouldn't have cared what race I was or where I was from. I was going to love that music anyway. But it's especially wonderful to me to actually have been able to go to West Africa and be in one of the places where some of my ancestors actually came from. And it's, it's just a, been a lifelong thing to me. Every little piece of, of my history that I can recover, whether it's from Latin America, the conquest of Latin America, the enslavement of Africans in Latin America, and the enslavement of Africans here in what's now the United States, the conquest of the Native people here. All that, to me, is, is a, it's very important to me. And I just want people to know that, you know, that this whole this whole thing i mean i appreciate my music especially because of my my love of who where i come from where my ancestors come from and i know that i'm half white but see the funny thing about being half white in this country is you got to look all the way white before you're accepted as white mm-hmm. you can be half white i don't care how damn uh, you can even look white but, but when you're around a racist person and they, if they assume that you're going to be racist along with them because they think you're white, and then if they start being hateful and all that stuff, you know, they're talking about my my uncle, they're talking about my cousin, they're talking about my grandparents and my mother, you know, like so. No matter what you look like as a mixed person, even if you look white, your experience is still different from a real white person who who you know, as far as they know, all their ancestors are, are white. So. That's just a bone, a, a big sore spot for me that I have to talk about. <laughs> for sure. I, I really, really appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable and share those experiences with us. And I uh, appreciate both of you for uh, the care and thought that you put into uh, bringing and representing um, and and uh, uh, sharing these uh, bits of music and culture from uh, from these West African regions. So thank you so, so much for sharing this really beautiful music and also for the stories and the context. Could uh, I add one more quick, quick thought Please to do. that? Thank you. Thank you, Josh. And thank you for asking that question. I think it's a really important one. Um, and the, I just want to say one more thing about that or sort of tangentially, I guess, related to it is that I also, I just want to make it really clear that we are not, um, you know, sort of, I guess, representing this culture in a traditional sense either. Mm -hmm. I mean, Frank certainly Mm -hmm. understands the tradition quite deeply as I'm sure you can, you know, you've picked up 
you know, based on his knowledge and experiences of the music. But really, this this record and this band is, you know, we again are, you know, see ourselves as disciples of these traditions, you know, but we are not, um, you know, really attempting to represent this music in a traditional way. I mean, we're really sort of being inspired, by allowing it to inspire us and we're drawing on it. And again, always in a, you know, in a way that we're trying to be sensitive and um, ultimately, you know, respectful of the tradition, but, you know, because we, we know that we're not, you know, we're not descendants. And so we are going to sort of mix it, <laughs> you know, mix it up and, and do our own thing with it. And, and that's really the, um, I think to me and to us, you know, that's, that's really, what makes this project so fun and uh, vital. I asked Absolutely. a couple of my teachers from Guinea about it, about the album. You know, I told them about the album and everything, and I just wanted to know what they thought about it. And, and they said it was fine with them. But also, we also discussed, well, if we make any money, I mean, whoever makes money off an album here in Seattle anyway. <laughs> For sure. But if we did, <laughs> if we did make any money, I want a certain amount of that money to go to some of those teachers and to the village of Sangbarala in Guinea. I mean, I actually already, me and Hav actually already sent some money to a couple of my teachers during the COVID time because they were having a hard time. Sure. So we sent uh, um, a couple of my drum teachers the money. So, you know, I just That's want very people cool. to know that. And I want people to know that if they ever think about whether it's African-American people here or any people of color here, or whether it's people in another place where some of our ancestors come from, like Africa or Latin America, you know, if you can help some folks back there, do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again uh, for providing all these stories and context. And again, the care with which you treat uh, this music really, really shows. Uh, I wanted to move on to a tune that you've already alluded to, uh, and that's an original called You Gotta Go. And before we start talking about it, how about we just do some listening? Let's do it. All right, uh, here we go. Every day more trickeration, hateration, confabulation. You got sycophants and dilettantes and truculent uh, elephants. Their idol throws a fit, it's their holy writ. And the hypocrites babysit. Ah, oh, spit and spat, tit for tat. That's life among the sewer rats and litigious brats. You got to go some kind of way. Oh, we all got to go one fine day. It's getting late in the evening. The sun is going down. Mm, it makes me feel mighty good to know that you got to go. Vulgarian, contrarian. But a faked and baked septuagenarian. You steal and you lie. 
the end is nigh. You seize control, but you sold your soul to the benighted who are so delighted. Now that you've incited it and ignited it, it ain't nothing but mass delusion. It's gonna be an apocalyptic conclusion. You got to go some kind of way. We all got to go one fine day. Oh, it's getting late in the evening. The sun is going down. It makes me feel good to know that you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go.
Wow, that is that is a driving song. Um, I love it. I love the guest that you introduced on this song as well. And I mean, there's a lot going on here. Um, why don't we start with uh, talking about the lyrics, if that's okay? Um, these are fairly timely words. Uh, <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about just kind of what was going on when you guys wrote this song? You know, I read the news a lot. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I would see these things like somebody would call Trump a vulgarian. So that's why I came up with vulgarian, <laughs> vulgarian, contrarian, you know, like it was it's basically all about Trump and his followers and how, you know, how absolutely disgusted and, and, and uh, I want people to. Exhausted. I want people to fight against that, <laughs> yeah. you know. So that's what it is. Like all these different things, I was all these different ideas I had about all these people, Trump and, and all his people who are supporting him, whether they're people within his government or whether they're his supporters who vote or whatever. That's what that's about. And one nice. thing, I, I mean, Max, you mentioned the timeliness of it, you know. And I think we started working on this song. Was it like? 20 it was way before the pandemic i mean it was yeah like it was 20 well we recorded it was before we went to it was before we went to alaska the second time because remember we went to alaska yeah. the second time we did it there i think it was probably in 2019 it was before the election it was before the pandemic um you know and i don't know i mean you know we had planned to put out this album in 2020 of course you know nobody yeah. knew what was um in store for us, of course, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, and then, so the album came out and, and then the election happened, you know, but it was sort of like, even into 2021, it was like, Oh my God, this song is still relevant. Yeah. like when and, they- and that was really, I mean, an unfortunate <laughs> sort of surprise, but, uh, cause I just, you know, I mean, I, anyway. Yeah. yeah like so. when I say now that you've incited it and ignited it, it's like he incited the insurrection where they invaded the damn Capitol building. Right. Right. Oh shit! And I mean, that was written before that ever happened, but it just unfortunately turned out to be kind of what happened. It was it was relevant way longer than we had anticipated or probably would have hoped that it would be. Indeed. Musicians say are a reflection of our world and our culture and what's going on, and sometimes prophetic. And I really strongly believe that this song, uh, with this song, uh, your group has uh, really done this job. So. Thank yeah, you. 
Awesome. We, we felt like we needed to say something. I think, you know, I think we all just, you know, <laughs> thank you for yeah yeah thank you i actually man I, that reminds me i wrote a song called trump i think in 2016 uh, and uh i wish i had recorded it thank you guys for doing it well it's, it may not, it may it's it's it may not it may still not be too late max that's that's <laughs> true that's a good point can we talk Let's about hope, our guest also but... oh yeah <laughs> yeah knock on wood um can we yeah so we added jimmy james here on guitar um, which, I mean, he's a legend in Seattle and actually outside of Seattle, um, in and of himself, basically at this point. Um, but how did that happen? You guys, how did, yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, I think, it, you know, we had basically recorded this song and we were in the studio listening back. And I think Jeff Bush, our drummer, you know, he was like, man, you know, this song would sound really great with some rhythm guitar. And, you know, immediately I thought of Jimmy James. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've known him for, for quite a while. We played in, you know, some, you know, before he got, before he blew up and got famous and everything, you know, we used to play in different projects and stuff. And, and anyway, so yeah, I, I just texted him and he, you know, I, I guess I, we got lucky. He was in town and uh, yeah, so he was, he came in and, and, laid down some beautiful guitar parts. Um, yeah. And yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, similar with Sean. I mean, it was like he, I was just with both of those guys. It was like really, um, you know, I was really impressed by their respect, you know, for the music and how they just came in. And like, I could tell they were like really listening, uh, you know, deeply in, and, and, you know, um, and in both cases, you know, they just really like delivered um, and, and added so much to the, the tracks they played on. Definitely. I was, I was so thrilled with Jimmy James because, you know, I'm 64 years old and I love a lot of um, a lot of rhythm and blues and a lot of blues. And, and, you know, the time that I was younger, you would hear. I mean, I used to hear B.B. King and Albert King. And, you know, I heard a lot of rhythm and blues that had some real great guitars. So I thought, wow, this is so wonderful. This is like the kind of guitar that I grew up listening to, you know. It just felt, yeah. like the, it just felt so damn good to have the way he played that guitar in there. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic musician as well. Um, just switching directions slightly, uh, just looking at the clock a little bit here. Um, I just wanted to talk briefly about what the past year has been like for you guys as a band. I mean, you released a record. Uh, the world has been largely uh, shut down, I guess, mostly depending on where you are, but for the most part. And um, yeah, what's that been like? Well, yeah, I think it's it's been... I mean, life changing. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> um, you don't say. <laughs> uh, and you know, and it's of course it's it's been. I mean, it was. I mean, I I you know had doubts about releasing the album last year. You know, because it was sort of like. I mean, we were actually really fortunate that um, we were able to finish it. I mean, I think we literally, I, I mean, I was like finishing up mixing it with Evan Schiller like a week or two, and I remember we were looking at the news and reading about you know, COVID and, and stuff. And 
Mm-hmm. And just, but it, at that, you know, it was like, that was like before COVID, you know, so it was like, we still didn't have any clue, of course, what was, you know, coming. But I feel really fortunate that we were able to finish the album. And and then I think it was absolutely the right thing to release it. I mean, it was sort of like, well, if not now, when, you know, I mean, um, yeah. and, it, and it just felt like it, I know that, you know, we've gotten a lot of, really positive feedback from people about it. And, and I think that it, it just became clear that, well, you know, this, this is what folks need now more than ever, you know, is, is music. And so we're really glad that we could put it out there. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I, I don't know, it's been also a time of like reflection, right. And thinking about like, well, what is music really mean to me? I mean, if I can't play shows as a musician, and I can't even, I mean, there was a time, like now we're able to, we're, you know, looking at, mo- you know, most of us, I think, are vaccinated. And so we're going to be able to start getting together pretty soon. But, um, you know, as you guys know, and as a lot of your listeners know, there was a long time where we couldn't even do that. So it was kind of like, well, what does it, you know, mean to be a musician if I can't do these things that I've always done? And I don't know, I think for myself personally, like that led to some really, you know, um, fruitful sort of introspect introspection. And it certainly just made me, I think, appreciate, you know, how important music is in my life and how important, you know, this band is for me as well. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm glad you guys released it. Absolutely. So, uh, as we begin to wrap up here, uh, I'm curious, are there, any plans for new things for Duende Libre? Is there anything we should be watching out for? Yeah, well, um, we're, we've got a live stream performance. This is going to be with the trio on Friday, April 23rd, and it's going to be from the Royal Room. So it's part of the Earshot Jazz live stream series. Wonderful. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. And then um, we are going, we've got a couple performance live stream performances coming up with Frank and Hava. And the next one is going to be um, as part of the Spinard Jazz Festival, which is a jazz festival up in Anchorage, Alaska. Hmm. Um, but we're that's actually going to be like, you know, pre-recorded video performance. And their festival is happening the first weekend in June. So um, I don't know the exact date of when our uh, our portion will be, you know, available um but that's that's coming up and then we're doing um the i think they call it well it's a live stream at the kirkland performance center on july 15th cool oh nice and it's the best place to find these things uh com or on your social media stuff or yeah um, any of the above (laughs) yeah i would say all of the above i'm glad you reminded me max i'll go (laughs) they're they're not on the website now but they will be tonight and uh yeah and of course yep you know we're on facebook we're on instagram and we'll be um certainly spreading the word there very cool awesome well that's about all we have time for thank you so much alex and frank for joining us and sharing your music your stories uh and all of this this it's been uh such a wonderful time yeah thank you guys thank you so much it really make me feel good to be able to talk yeah. about everything you know thank you josh thanks max keep up the great work you're doing we really appreciate what you're doing for the seattle jazz community 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks. And for all of you listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, this You've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle. If you like what you're listening to, uh, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your regular podcasts. If you follow us on Facebook, just look up Jazz Talk Seattle. You can find out more news about uh, when episodes are coming out and uh, what other guests we're talking to. And also uh, links to wonderful music that we've been listening to and checking out. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next month.